It's green for go, they're racing. He says go, he says Tara, and Tiger Tara roars away from them on the home turn. Here comes another big boil over. Equine athleticism at its best. The king is in the castle once more. This is in one race, the rest are almost in another post. She is a star with a capital S. It's going to be a triple treat, a miracle three-peat. Ladies and gentlemen, you have witnessed history here at Menangle. What about that? It's getting right up on the sprint lane and it's going to bolt in. Hello, welcome to another episode of the sprint lane. Paul Cochran with you. I've got Amanda Rando alongside me. And Amanda, what we thought we'd do today is just continue our series of talking to some of the really prominent people in our breeding industry because this is a fascinating and amazing time of year when our yearling sales are, are going to be happening either side of the Miracle Mile race. Yeah, exactly. So we've got the nutrient sale this Sunday just after the Miracle Mile Carnival. So we've got all the stars on track Saturday night and then the future stars in the parade ring on Sunday. We've been going a little bit around the grounds and around the state. And today we've got with with us from Brooklyn Lodge is uh, Ben Setri. Welcome, Ben. Yeah, g'day, Paul. Hey, Amanda. Thanks for having me on. It's great to have you on the show. Um, You must be excited about the sales this weekend. Oh. Yeah, excitement's one word for it. Um, anticipation and trepidation sometimes comes to mind as well. When you're as busy as we are, we've got 21 yearlings for the sale. So, you know, you get there with uh, a lot of excitement, but, you know, just a lot of trepidation and hoping that things all go well and there's no no great dramas. Tell us a little bit about the preparation uh, of your yearlings this year. I know, you know, there's obviously we've... Um you know, a lot of floods happening in the Central West and how that affected you guys at Brooklyn Lodge and, and getting these yearlings ready. Yeah, we were really lucky, Amanda. You know, we had significant flood damage, but not no major... Um, we had damage to fencing and the, tra- the, the trotting track and whatever, the training track that we have, but we didn't have any damage to housing or sheds or anything. Um, where we run the yearlings is further up the back of the property, we run them in big mobs up on the hills. Uh, we believe that running them on the hills is uh, vital to their preparation and their development. So that's a, they were sort of well away from the flooding areas at the time. So other than access in and out of the property, which was cut for a while, uh, the, the flood didn't impact our yearling preparation. Uh, but, you know, it's, a, it's been a pretty standard preparation this year. We've come in for six weeks. We prep all for that whole six weeks and then Thursday morning we will load at about 3am and take the horses to Sydney. We'll travel up in the dark. Uh, horses load and travel better in the dark. So we will get them down there sort of just as the sun comes up around that seven o'clock mark and we'll have them in the boxes. People can come out on Thursday and Friday and inspect them. We spend most of the day Thursday giving them a final wash, uh, making putting on their makeup and whatnot for Friday for the parade. <laughs> So, yeah, there's a fair bit to it, but, you know, we, um, we've been doing it for a long time now. Doug and Janet have been, Brooklyn Lodge has been operational for 35 years or a bit more. And, uh, yeah, you know, we've streamlined the process in that entire time. What's that like, mate, putting them on the truck and it's like the final farewell? What's that like for you? Yeah, no, it's um, final farewells when the hammer drops, you know. You know they're gone then, you know. Someone else owns them once the, once the hammer drops, so... That's the, the final part of it. But, yeah, putting them on the truck, you know, there's the occasional one that you sort of go, oh, I wish we could keep this bloke or, or this filly or whatever. You know, there's always one or two there that you really sort of like. But um, they're all for sale, and uh, whoever's got their hand up last is going to own them. You made a comment about trepidation. I mean, I think that the nerves is a pretty common thread, Amanda, isn't it? You know, when we've spoken to other other 
breeders around the place as they're heading to the sales, the nerves, um, because while there's excitement about the transaction, there's nerves that, you know, you've been prepping for this and you, you use the word prep, Ben, where you've been, this is your grand, this is like your grand final. This is your miracle mile, the sale. Yeah, look, people don't realise this is um, this is our payday. Yeah. You know, the, the money we earn throughout the year is sort of the running costs of the farm and that sort of thing. And, and this is our payday, you know, like we have to earn, we have to earn our service fees, you know, from for the next lot of foals. Um, we have to we have to pay for those. We have to, you know, pay for pay for um, what we what we spend. You know, this is our this is, is our grand final. Absolutely. Talk about paydays, Ben. Luxa Turner, born and bred on your farm. Yeah, no, we had a great night on Saturday night. Um, Luxa Turner and also Windy Hill Tara. So the two group races. For the fillies, uh, both of them, you know, were Brooklyn Lodge born and raised. So we were really proud of that achievement on the weekend. Mm. And Luxa Turner, 154.3. She's the fastest two-year-old in Australia this season. Yeah, look, we, we really loved her. She was an outstanding filly. Um, I thought she was uh, always destined to be a great filly, just on confirmation and attitude. She was a filly that really stood out in our draft last year. And as such, she brought the money that she did and... Um, Laspina's bred her in, in partnership with us and they bought they bought her outright at the sales and uh, you know good luck to them they're having a hell of a ride and Ricky's doing a good job with her too so the, using that as context mate like and like Luxa Turner pulled in 27 grand for that win the other night so anyone considering I mean I know that all racehorses don't go out and win and win you know lump sums like that but it's food for thought isn't it yeah, look, you know, if you get one that's good, you know, you can you can get your money back really quick. You know, she was a, but they would have more than half of their money back now of what her purchase price was. You know, from memory, she was, I think she was eighty two thousand. You know, so she'd be she'd be getting close to halfway of, of what um what she owes them or what they purchased her for. Uh, you know, but yeah, look, you know, she's obviously at this stage. I would suggest she's the short price favourite for the gold crown. Uh, or Galtiara, sorry. Um, so you know she's she's got a lot of earning capacity ahead of her for this season. You like a proud dad when you see a see a result like that. Ah, uh, you you just love to see them all make the racetrack, you know. And whether they whether they um, are as good as her or not, you just like to see them get to the racetrack because at the end of the day, Paul, what we try to do is sell an athlete, and you know. I can't tell you whether it's the fastest one or the or the quickest one, but what I can tell you is that we strive to sell an athlete that'll make the races. You know, people say we have a big job bringing 21 yearlings to the sale. Well, at the end of the day, buyers have got a big bigger job because there's 220 odd being catalogued. They've got to get that down to one or two that they can afford to buy. Talk about athletes. Um, you've got an athlete, and maybe not so much in the equine sense with. Your wife Mel, she runs around those the sail ring parading the horses, and she does a fantastic job. And you know, I want to know how many outfit changes does she have for this Sunday? <laughs> oh, it's a very closely guarded secret. That one. <laughs> There's been times in the past where a few of the boys have tried to run a book and have a bet on. The <laughs> we we the secrecy on that one. Sounds like but, Super Bowl uh, markets. Mel's, Mel's an amazing horsewoman. She. Uh, She's in charge of the yearling prep. Make no mistake, you know, I might get the, the job of doing some talking about them and whatever, but when it comes down to it, Mel's in charge of, you know, the sales preps and, and sale day, you know, is um, is a joint effort, but, you know, it, it all reflects back on the work that she's put in and, 
Justin, our son's done an amazing job this year. He's uh, finished school and he's in the in the sale barn as well, preparing the horses with her. So they've done a terrific job. The horses look fantastic. Our videos are going up yesterday and today. Um, people will be able to jump on the, the Nutrient catalogue and find the, the videos for each of our horses and have a look at them. And as you said, you know, when it comes to presenting him in the ring, you know, I might be biased, but I don't think anyone does a better job than Mel. So what, what are you, pri- I mean, for a buyer, everyone's got something different that they're looking for. What do you think makes a, a good yearling that, that people should be picking up traits on and, you know, and physical attributes? Oh, look, I think the first thing is they've got to be structurally correct. They've got to be structurally sound. And, you know, you can look at a horse and you can pick confirmation faults. You know, um, some faults have got a heavier percentage than others. Then when it comes to comes to uh, marking a yearling down. But, you know, I think you've got to find the correct horse. You've got to find a horse with a great attitude, um, you know, there's no good having the most correct horse or the fastest horse if he doesn't want to be a racehorse. You know, and you, that's the problem. You're not going to know that until you get him home and, and break him in and get him going. But, you know, he's got to have a constitution that'll cop work. He's got to be a good eater. He, you know, they've got, to be, they've got to be relaxed. They've got to be smart and intelligent and willing to work with you. You know, they're probably the things that we put a lot of emphasis on when we're selecting, you know, the horses that we like your background in the sport and, and being a competitor yourself what how does that help you now that you're on the other side of the equation do you think yeah look you know I, i'm fortunate that i grew up on the land and i had horses you know i grew up with horses but not standard breads uh it wasn't until i met melanie and married into the family that you know standard breads became a part of my world but understanding the horse, understanding the way a horse moves, form and function is probably the way I look at it. You know, if you if you look at a horse and you go, oh, it's beautiful, but it's very fine boned and it's not, it's it might be fine in form, but it's function. It doesn't form and function that got to match up on a racetrack. So you've got to be able to see an athlete. You know, it, you can't look at a horse and go, oh, what a big strong cart horse, you know, or a milk cart horse. You know, they've got to they've got to form and function have got to go hand in hand. So I guess having both sides, now I've been fortunate enough to have some really good juveniles over the years, horses like MJ Green and San Domino, you know, um, and I'd like to pick that horse on his athletic ability. Yeah, gee, there's some, some good learnings out of that. I mean, I think, Amanda, if you're, if you're interested and you can take some guidance from, obviously Ben's got a product to sell, but he's, but he's clearly been in the game and knows... I think that's a really relevant point, form and function, what he said. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's important, you know, if there's uh, new people out there that, that want to go and, and purchase a yearling for the first time, go and, and and follow, you know, some of the other trainers and drivers that are that are looking at horses and see what they're looking at. And that, that will give you a good indi- indication for what you should look at because it's important to, you know, we, we want to get new people involved in the sport and, and they might be a bit bit put off because they don't know what to look for so that would be my recommendation Ben, you you had a career as a as a driver you miss it oh i was never i was only just a driver paul i was never um destined for great heights yeah i do miss it on occasion you know i had a pretty bad fall in in a trial one night and sort of took me a long time to get over it and 
I had, had to start using a lot more drivers, the, the, the younger fellas and whatever. And to be perfectly honest, Paul, when, when I was going around once a week or twice a week sort of thing, and, and these guys were going around five times a night, four nights a week, you know, their, their eye and their reaction time and their, their reading of a race was always going to be a lot sharper than mine. So, you know, it was it's enjoyable to be a driver. Uh, I love the competitive spirit of it. I love, I love the, you know, the, the rough and tumble of being a driver. But on the same hand, I, I'm being a realist and understand that the kids that do it, or the young, the younger guys and girls that are doing it every, every night, are, you know, their their eye, their their eye is in. They've got a, they've got a, an advantage on guys like me that we're only going around once or twice a, a week. So you're saying you wouldn't have been all that popular in fantasy harness racing as a driver. Oh, probably about 215 <laughs> would have pulled me up, I'd say. Are you a fantasy player, fantasy harness? Yeah, I'm, I'm on there. I have a bit of a bit of a go at trying to, trying to read who's got good drivers. <laughs> who's going to be your whatever. captain this week, Ben? Sorry? Who's going to be your captain? Oh, I want to see the fields at Menangle first. All right, good, good, uh, good decision. All right, mate, so 35 years ago, Brooklyn was, was established and set up. Take us back. Yeah, well before my time, um, Doug and Janet were living at Menangle Park many, many moons ago. Um, decided that they wanted to step out of out of the day-to-day grind. Uh, both of them were teachers and they wanted to buy a property. So they moved to Aberdeen, just outside of Scone, which, you know, amazing horse country. And they set up there. Uh, they were there until 1999 when they moved to Bathurst. Uh, they looked at many properties all around the Central West, and the reason to get out of Scone was twofold. One, it was the heart of thoroughbred country, so there wasn't a lot of harness racing around Scone itself. You either had to go north to Tamworth or south to Newcastle. Um, so that was the primary, you know, primary reason they moved. Secondary was, you know, land values for the galloping company, for the galloping studs was just outrageous. So they were able to sell up and move buy a bigger place down here and thirdly one of the big things that janet wanted to get away from was the coal dust you know she didn't want grandkids growing up in in the scone district where there was a lot of coal dust you know the highest incidence of juvenile asthma in australia yeah right and it's been a i mean it sounds like it's been a successful move i mean 30 takes takes a, a bit of success and a bit of luck and a lot of hard work to be a 35 year business yeah, well, it's probably it's probably more than thirty-five, but that's you know the ballpark of what it is. But you know they they put a lot of effort into finding Brooklyn Lodge or the current Brooklyn Lodge, uh, the property that we that we run the horses on. They had a lot of ideas of what they wanted to achieve by you know, that undulating country. We wanted water at one end of paddocks and feed, you know, where we could feed horses at the other. You know, we forced the horses to move by by that. Uh, you know, walking up and down hills and whatever. Not big steep hills, but you know, undulating hills that it develops bone and muscle and the right tissue densities. Uh, we we're very conscious of our nutrition levels, whether it be our supplement feeding or our pastures. So you know, they they put a lot of homework into it, and we've been fortunate enough to we've we probably average one at least one Group One horse a year, you know, that we sell. So you know, we seem to get it right with with um with the the balance of breeding and nutrition and handling and and those sorts of horses can't don't you know they're no fluke you know they there's a lot of work goes into breeding those sorts of horses you know we've been fortunate like a horse like Lock and Bar Art was born at home 
uh, Carabine Blaster was born at home. Yeah, you know, and the list goes on. But they're they're probably two of the better, you know, the the highest earning ones that we've that we've produced at home. And both stallions. Yeah, yeah, we've been oh. we've been fortunate. But you know, there's been some great fillies too. Sanctum, uh, all of those horses that Dr. Fran Housefeld bred uh, <clears throat> out of the Caribbean Blaster fan, Willing Whiz, Willing Way. All of those horses were bred by Brooklyn Lodge. You know, they were bred by Fran, but but you know, born and raised at Brooklyn Lodge. Gee, one Group One winner a year is um, pretty good return, Amanda. Yeah, it sure is. And as you said, that's you know that that's why Brooklyn Lodge has been so so successful all these years. Yeah, and. Out of the current crop, Ben, are there are there horses? I mean, we've already talked about Luxa Turner. Is there is there um, emerging horses going around at the moment that you think we should have on our radar that could be that Group One per year type box that you can continue to tick off? Oh, look, she's she's certainly the favourite. You know, at this point in time, to be the next Group One winner that that's come from our farm. Uh, there's a few others that trainers always tell me. You know. I try and sort of catch up with those that bought horses last year and, you know, people say, oh, this one's a good one or that one, you know, and there's there's wraps on them, but they haven't stepped out yet. You know, she's the only one that's sort of shown a true colour. She's flying the flag um, at this stage. So fingers crossed she continues to, to do amazing things. Uh, she certainly looks to be the real deal at yeah. the moment. Yeah, she certainly does. Hey, uh, in previous life, I used to deal a lot with people in small crop industry and sugar, you know, sugar industry and those type of things. And the nervous energy when it was time to harvest sounded very similar to what you were saying at the start. This is your grand final time, and the, you know, the the prep, and now now this is your your return on the investment. Very very similar way, and yet and yet very different industries. Yeah, look, it's you know, the, I guess the hardest part for anyone in our industry who's selling horses is come sunday we're at the mercy of the buyers you know where we go to nutrien uh we we go cap in hand to the to the auctioneers and we say do the best you can and try and get us the best price possible uh but we are we are at the mercy of the buyers you know and as everyone knows in it in an auction the auction price is only as good as an underbidder so you know you can't just have one person with all the money in the world who wants to buy this horse? You need an underbidder that's going to take him to to his value. Uh, so, you know, that's the hard part is is stepping into a ring where we we lose that little bit of control. You know, I can go into the sale ring and and take a horse like we sold Max Delight. You know, and I thought he was going to bring about one fifty to one eighty, and he ended up bringing two hundred forty five thousand. Wow. So, you know, to to walk into a ring with a horse like him and and him to way out to far exceed our expectations was was incredible but where we sort of look at it a little bit different to the one and two horse buyers our uh, sellers vendors is that over 21 horses in the ring we can we can cop a loss here and there and make it up on others you know it's about where our average is you know and that's that's why i feel for the the little guys who only have one or two horses because They've put their heart and soul and they've spent a lot of money on service fees and they only get one chance to make that money, you know. So it's important that we look after those little guys just as much as, as Brooklyn Lodge and Ben Studd and Alibar, the bigger players, because we all need those little guys, just like in racing. We all need those little guys to have success, you know, and uh, to uh, be able to stay in the game. Yeah. Yeah, that that's... um. That's pocket change compared to what Max Delight's managed to generate <laughs> generate for career earnings. Though, when you think about it that way, it's an investment. 
really in, in you know Max Delight's won over eight hundred thousand career dollars career prize money at the moment. So if you think about it that way, it's not a bad return on investment. Yeah, and that's the thing. You know, a lot of these good horses, they might sell for big money, but they they race for big money these days. And if they're fortunate enough to to be successful in those big races. You can make money out of harness racing if you've got the right horse, you know. Um, anyone that comes along, you know, at the lower end of the market, you know, my advice is that don't go into it expecting to make money. If you can if you can earn, you know, pay your way and have fun, then and, – and there's a lot of horses that pay their way and you have a lot of fun with them, you know. You can't bottle the winning feeling for owners that go to the racetrack. You know, you can't there's, – there's no, there's no antidote for, for – you can give someone and say, here, take this, and you'll get that winning feeling, you know, when they see their horse cross the line first, you know. If we could do that, that would be, you know, the, the game wouldn't exist. But it's all about taking a chance. It's about investing your time, your effort, your money, and hope that you get a return on it, just like a Max Delight or a Luxa Turner or a Windy Hill Tara, you know. So, you know, those horses, they're doing a terrific job and, and best of luck to the owners, but we hope that we've got a a whole nother batch of them going to the sales on Sunday. Yeah, well, you're talking about Max Delight. You've got a brother um, to him by a betting line going through the ring. Yeah, he's a magnificent uh, colt. You know, um, he's a he's an athlete. He's a big, strong horse. He's the kind of horse that you know some serious buyers are going to have a have a lot of fun with. You know, he's not going to be a cheap prospect by any means out of that family. But you know, he's a three quarter brother to the Australian two-year-old filly of the year. He's out of the Australian broodmare of the year. So, you know, you're going to want some serious coin to be in the game with him. Uh, but he's a he's a magnificent individual and she's done a great job, Lady Athena. She was an outstanding race mare and, and she's proven that she's an outstanding broodmare too. One to keep an eye on for on the weekend then, Amanda. Yeah, lot 98. Yeah, yeah, yeah we've, we've got some other horses there that we really like, you know, the... the down by the seaside filly out of Alf Elmer, a magnificent filly. Uh, Passion's Delight, second foal, is a uh, Captain Treacherous colt. You know, he looks like a colt that you could just throw the gear on and go to the races next week. You know, he's a he's a really race racing proposition. Um, you know, we've got a couple of Better's Delight fillies out of Ready to Fire and Better's Black Magic. We've got a captain, couple of Captain Treacherous fillies that are shaping up really well. Yeah, we're, we're really pleased with our draft overall. But, yeah, we do have three or four really high-quality standouts. But, um, yeah, look, we've got a horse for every market, you know, every every player. And we're fortunate enough. We've been around the game long enough. I have a lot of people come to me that say, this year I've got 20000 What can I buy? And I can show them a horse that's probably going to bring 20000 I've got other guys that just come to me and say, I want to see this one and this one. Have I missed one? And I say, yep, you missed this one. You know, and they'll, they'll, they should go and look at a, a horse like the, the Passion's Delight. Uh, we've got one out of Mestisepi, an art major cult. Now, she's done a great job. Uh, Aphorism was the first one to get to the races. Canina Provlima, so am I, delightful me. And this is the first one. She was bred, this cult was bred by Fran Hausfeld, who passed away last year. So this is the first time that one out of this mare has gone to the sales. And I expect him to garner a lot of interest on that on that fact alone you know people haven't been able to buy out of this mare in the past because fran and i have kept them and raced them together how exciting i mean amanda you and i have worked a lot on the breeders challenge in the last couple of years these are the these are the horses yet to be named <laughs> that we're going to be talking about 
um, in future Breeders' Challenge series. And, you know, and, and obviously, so Breeders' Challenge, obviously Bathurst Gold Crown Carnival's coming up. These are the, the carnivals that we're going to be talking about these particular horses yeah. you know, that are going to be prominent. Yeah, exactly. And I don't know, as a breeder as well, Ben, you know, you see a filly like Luxa Turner who you, you guys had so much to do with early on in her life and then to see her come out and do what she did on Saturday night at her second start, like that must be an incredible feeling as a breeder. Yeah, look, there's nothing better than going to the races, you know, the big race nights and be able to sit there and say, we bred that one or that one was from our farm, and, you know. Um, you go back about... I haven't done the numbers over the last couple of years, but three or four years ago, I sat down and went back through the Gold Crown on a roll. You know, we'd bred, we'd bred or raised seven of the previous 10 winners. And like I said, that was a figure, that was a stat that was relevant four or five years ago. But, you know, like, that's, that's the kind of horse that we want to breed. That's the horse that we want people to know Brooklyn Lodge for, that we can produce that, that sort of a horse and you can come along and buy it, you know. MJ and Green, Chariot King... Um, you know, there are a couple of winners that we've had come from our farm. But, yeah, you know, we're lucky. We, we, we have a model of how we run the horses in the paddock and we have a process that we go through from when they're born, you know, right through to the, to the day they go into the sale ring, you know, and we, we, we're always updating it, making little modifications here and there. But we believe we've got it pretty close to right. You know, there's always a little tweak here and there that we can adopt as technology changes or as as information comes to hand but overall i think you know we've proven that it's a very successful business model to uh, to prepare and and raise these athletes that people can have confidence and come and buy and know that they're getting a quality product exciting nervous all those things all wrapped up in one hey ben we we thank for your time, mate, and um, we wish you, your family, and all your staff, and everyone who pours so much, so much time and love and and generosity into into nurturing the next crop of superstars or paddock horses or country country circuit horses, whatever. As you said, there's something for everyone. Um, we appreciate the amount of work that you do to continually regenerate our industry. You know, it's um, without you guys, the industry doesn't exist. Oh, look, you know. I think it's important that we look after all the breeders, not just the Brooklyn Lodges of the world, but, you know, the people that are breeding one horse are just as important as Brooklyn Lodge, you know. There's more one-horse breeders than there are of Brooklyn Lodge. So, you know, be be mindful when you go to the sales. That's the one thing I ask of buyers. Be mindful when you go to the sales. I know you want to buy a horse as cheap as possible, but be, be mindful of what it actually costs to put that horse in the ring, you know. And, and you know, if everyone gets a fair price, well, the game is is rejuvenated every year it, it regenerates and it and it just keeps flowing on but you know if people aren't getting a fair price and they're not getting a fair return you know it's hard to hard to keep enthusiasm up and go and breed again and again and again so you know i ask the buyers just to be mindful of that you know everyone wants a bargain but you know if you can um, if you can bear that in mind when you're paying a price for a horse, you know, it'll make a big difference to the breeders continuing in the future. Sage advice indeed. Ben, good luck this weekend, mate. I hope it goes well for you. And, um, you know, we look forward to seeing the journey that uh, some of these incredibly bred yearlings go on in, in, in the future as they become stars of our sport, no doubt. Yeah, thanks very much, Paul. Thanks, Amanda. We really appreciate your time. To everyone out there listening, thanks for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed that chat with Ben Setry from Brooklyn Lodge. We will continue our series with talking to some of the more 
prominent breeders who are going to feature in the yearling sales this weekend around the Miracle Mile Carnival. Thanks for your time. Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you next time on The Sprint Lane.